My name is Dr. Jim Largent, and you're listening to Largent Unfiltered. Welcome everyone back to uh, the podcast, Large and Unfiltered. I'm visiting today and really excited today to be visiting with my friend, Dr. John Kuhn, Superintendent of Mineral Wells ISD. And, uh, you know, Dr. Kuhn, John, we've known each other for two or three years, I guess, just as colleagues, but I've been following you for, for longer than that with with your advocacy. And, uh, you know, I've really appreciated what you have done to to be that voice for education that unfortunately we don't always hear from from our leaders and before I get into that I do want to say this no matter how big you get or no matter where your career takes you I, I do want you to know that you will always be able to say that you were the first guest on the large and unfiltered podcast so that is that is something to be really proud of right there. I'm going to put that on my resume. I know you will cherish that forever. So, uh, again, thank you for agreeing to come on with me. And uh, so talk a little bit about your advocacy and what, what drives you to do that. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast and, and do this. Uh, I think advocacy has to come from the heart. Uh, I, don't, I don't think fake advocacy is going to be very effective. Um, and, and so that's that's step one. If you believe in something, um, and you see something wrong, you're going to uh, feel the obligation to speak out about that. And uh, so that's where that's where it comes from, and that's where it should come from. And that's one of the things I think that has frustrated me over the years, that there aren't more people speaking up um, uh, about the importance of public education and the importance of supporting public education in the state of Texas and around the nation. Um, I think that the public education experiment that started – you know, so many years ago in, in so many states around our nation is was a, was a radical experiment to say, you know what, we're going to provide a quality education for every student in every corner of our state. I think it was the right thing to do to build a civilization, to build a robust democracy where the people are, are wise and, and able to protect themselves from tyranny, protect themselves from leaders who will uh, lie and deceive and, and not take care of the things that, that leadership is supposed to take care of. So I believe that public education is a foundational piece of what has allowed America to to be, you know, what it, it has been. And so what I see and have seen going back many years in my career is that that promise under direct threat from a whole lot of different um, agents that, that want to do something different, uh, particularly privatize this 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 commons this public good um and so that's that's where my advocacy has come from i do want to say that there's a there's a lot of danger for those of us that are currently in the profession whether you're a teacher whether you're an administrator uh to to speak out and and advocate um without a filter just as the name of your podcast is unfiltered um sometimes it's hard to do that when you're weighing the cost in the back of your mind of you know, could this cost me uh, my current position? Could it cost me a future position? Could it cost me my uh, my retirement someday? You know, we we depend on that financial stability for our families. And so, one thing I would encourage and and have been encouraging is that uh, more folks do what you're doing, which is retired administrators, retired teachers, uh, those who have connections to education. Uh, because they have family members or spouses that are in education, um, or those who just appreciate what public education is or appreciate what their children are getting from public education, 
they need to speak up or we're going to lose what, what we have, have uh, developed and accomplished. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think for some of us who've been real lucky to have uh, school boards who have been supportive of us speaking out and they're willing to hire people like us who – they know going in that we're not going to just sit back and agree with everything the legislature does and never speak out and just kind of stay in our space, that, that we don't have a problem coming out and saying when we think something's wrong or we think something needs to be changed. And uh, I guess you've had a couple of things that I guess went viral is, is a new word for that. But uh, your first one was really the uh, uh, William Travis Alamo letter that you kind of restructured around schools. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what, what made you do that? Yeah, that was a that was very organic. I had no intention of of doing anything big or or uh, anything that would get any kind of attention. I just was mad, basically. And uh, this this goes back to several years. The state was in the process of debating major cuts to education back in 2010, 11, in that era. And uh, I was a brand new superintendent, and I was looking at a I was at a very small school, and I was looking at making. Uh, lots of cuts to my staff, and they were deep cuts. They were, we were cutting some programs that had been very popular for a lot of years in that community, and it was my hometown on top of that. Um, and so at that time, the, the state of Texas was talking about, a, I think, a $10 billion cut to education funding, and we were all in a panic as we were looking at you know, the, the revenue models and, and what that was going to do to us. And so right in the middle of all of that stress um, as a new superintendent, I, you know, I'm I'm drawing up game plans for how are we gonna how are we gonna operate on this this uh, level of revenue that we're looking at. And I'm I'm looking at people's names on paper, saying, you know, can I cut this person? Right. Can I cut that person? I did give myself a ten thousand dollar pay cut that year, and um, so in the midst of all that, I went to a uh, Raise Your Hand Texas conference, and one of the speakers there happened to be the chair of the Senate Education Committee, which at that time was uh, Senator Shapiro. And in her remarks, it was just more of the same of what we've been hearing for years, and that was kind of the primacy of the standardized test and the primacy of the, the ranking and labeling of schools and how all-important that was. Um, and, in fact, she used the word non-negotiable. The test is non-negotiable. Now, at this time, the state of Texas was looking at 15 end-of-course star tests to determine whether or not a child would graduate. Now, they ended up coming off of that because a lot of advocacy started happening around that time. Right. But at the time she spoke, that was the model, 15 end-of-course star tests. And the, the price tag associated with that was just staggering. So she's talking about how this is non-negotiable. And then she shifted and started talking about how these budget cuts are unavoidable, but we're just all going to have to share the pain. And the illogic of saying we can't save any money on the testing side, we can't save any money um, all this money that we're shoveling out to Pearson, which is the testing contractor at that time, we're not gonna we're not gonna save a penny there. We're not gonna shave any of that off. But these these dollars that go to the salaries of librarians and school nurses and aides and teachers in little bitty towns like Perrin, Texas, we're definitely that's definitely negotiable. But this other's non-negotiable. And so when she said that word non-negotiable. It just flipped a switch in my brain, and I just honestly couldn't take it. So before the Alamo letter uh, ever happened, she took questions at the end, and, and I, I was the first one to ask a question. And I just asked her how many people Pearson would be laying off because of these horrible financial straits we were in. And she uh, she didn't like the question. She thought it was disrespectful. Um, so after that after that session, I went and I, I took the Alamo letter, which I'm a huge 
Texas history fan, as all of us who live in Texas are. And uh, I I felt besieged. I felt like from the governor to the Senate to the House Education Committee um, to all of these corporations, including some of these uh, think tanks and the Texas Public Policy Foundation, all these groups and organizations, they were all aiming their guns at the public education system because instead of seeing public education dollars as an investment in the future of the state of Texas because we're educating children, they see it as an expense, and their their focus is, you know, how can we cut spending? How can we spend less on this? But at the same time, how can we enrich these testing companies? And and honestly, too, something I believed in, I continue to believe today, the testing systems and the ranking and rating systems that they develop and they change and they tweak and they rename, it all comes down to, in my opinion, sabotage of the public education system so that you can have a negative spin on it so then you can come in and say, but hey, we're going to save you with these private schools and vouchers and these charter schools that can be for profit. Um, so, I, you know, that's that's the genesis of the Alamo letter that I wrote back in 2011. Yeah, and that got a lot of traction. A lot of people uh, have seen that, and I think you gave a speech down on the, on the steps of the Capitol at, uh, at the same time. So uh, it was a, a great move on your part, and I think it got a lot of people thinking about exactly you know what are what is going on in public education, and why are we allowing these things to happen? The people that we elect allowing these these things to happen. So we're going to talk some more about the testing issue uh, later. But I want to I, I do want to talk something positive for just a minute, and that's some of the innovations that you see going on in education. And you know I give a lot of credit to House Bill Five on this, and uh, it kind of allowed local districts to free up their curriculum a little bit, offer their kids more elective type courses, let them take more courses that they were interested in. And, and I know in my experience uh, in Granbury, we saw just a complete shift in our whole school when we were allowing our kids to do that. So what, you know, what are your thoughts on those innovations and things that we're seeing? I, I do think that House Bill 5 was a major component in allowing schools and encouraging schools to really focus, you know, less on the academic subjects and less on this uh, the, the the kind of pipe dream of, of, of college for everybody right. and get back to saying, you know, some students uh, definitely have a, a very successful future ahead of them, but it, it may be in a, in a trade or a particular skill. And so allowing those students and allowing schools to work with those students to help them uh, get a head start on those types of careers. And I know all around the state there's – lots and lots of, of really innovative programs. You had some, some really great ones in Granbury during your tenure, like the, uh, the aviation program where students are actually building airplanes at school. Right. Um, but also in, in my world, even at that little tiny school pair and that I was in and now here in Mineral Wells, uh, we have really expanded uh, the number of, of uh, career and technology programs. Uh, we're doing lots of innovative things. We, we uh, last year added some after-school classes so that we could get a pharmacy tech program up and running because we had students interested in that. Um, we've uh, expanded more into the health sciences. And of course, we, we have auto tech and we have carpentry. And I'll tell you another thing that has, has and I'm leaving out a whole bunch. I mean, that's just oh, the tip yeah. of the iceberg right there. Uh, there's business classes. There's, there's all sorts of stuff. But uh, we, uh, under the, the newest um, accountability program, one, one positive out of it has been uh, that you do get um, some points at the secondary level for career readiness. It's, it's not just college readiness, but it's college, career, and military readiness. And so right. uh, we, are, we are adding 
certification programs, and uh, the state has recognized, at this time they've only recognized 75 to 80 uh, professional certifications or certificates that, that can uh, count towards accountability. Um, but there are honestly probably over a thousand uh, career certificates that are very valuable, that are that are nationally recognized and portable from state to state. And so my hope is that the state, as they get feedback from the business community and and schools, that they will expand that list. And I've 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 heard uh, scuttlebutt that that is happening. And one one really positive outcome is in in our community and others as well. The conversations between K through 12 schools and community colleges, higher education, and the business community, those conversations are um, more frequent, they're, they're, more, they're deeper, they're more specific, and, and they're, they're, more, they're leading to more concrete outcomes than ever before in my career because there's, there's needs on all sides. We, we as a school district, we need to offer the certifications that TEA will uh, recognize and reward. My business partners need uh, a workforce that can step in and, and be, you know, effective on the job as, as early as possible with as, as little training after they get hired as possible. And then our community colleges have their role as well in, in some of the more advanced training. So there, there are some exciting things going on in that sense. And, and more of that could happen if our legislators and, and leaders at the state would understand that what we're trying to do is, is less about uh, naming and shaming schools for not doing what they're supposed to, and more about uh, empowering and understanding what it is we do so we can take care of kids. Absolutely. And, you know, the other great thing about that is it is allows us to kind of regionalize. You know, there's some schools out in West Texas that have really got into the drone technology for, for working with their uh, windmills and things that, you know, you don't think about in Granbury, we got big into aviation and engineering because there's so many people here that are in that field. And, you know, in other parts of the, you know, I know Kevin Brown down in Alamo Heights got into the rocketry program. And, you know, just amazing things going on all across our state. And I think, I think the House Bill 5 allowed us to a little bit of freedom to do that. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk more about testing in a little while. But, you know, talk a little bit about the classroom delivery because I know I know in Granbury we we bought all in on project-based learning just because we felt like it it opened up our classrooms where teachers weren't just teaching to a test it allowed them to come up with driving questions for their kids let the kids be the leaders in the classroom to figure out a problem you know we've seen some great things from that what, what other innovations are you seeing in the classroom that you can talk about well i'll tell you right now it, it really all comes down to student engagement and um if the students aren't plugged in and not only listening you know passively but actually you know actively engaging listening taking it in participating and 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 like you said getting their hands on uh, the activities, so project-based learning. I'll tell you what, what we're really seeing right now in my district uh, that I'm excited about, and, and that is the uh, the use of technology. We've just adopted a one-to-one -one Chromebook uh, model from grade 7 through 12, and we're, we're doing a two-to-one Chromebook model uh, below that at the elementary level, so for every two kids, we'll have one Chromebook in the classroom available. But our junior high and high school kids are being issued Chromebooks that they can take home with them, and then they can bring them back up here to school. And, and what that's allowing, we, and we started it last year with our eighth grade, and we've expanded it to all the other grades this year. Um, but what that's allowing us to do is is utilize um, all sorts of apps that that are very engaging. Um, like you can uh, you, you can have the kids come in as a as a warm up. You can put a quiz 
um, up on the the screen. And actually, you can we we use a, a a program called Vision that allows the teacher to put what they're looking at on everybody's screen, and so the kids can uh, basically have a game show that tests their their recall of certain things, and then you can go beyond that knowledge and recall level to to real comprehension and and collaboration and creative thinking uh, by by using technology to uh, have kids. Uh, produce videos and presentations and uh, there's just there's there's an endless uh, supply of learning applications that are that are available and a lot of them are free using technology so that's that's one of the things that we're really excited about we saw a lot of really neat um, changes in instructional behaviors last year at the on the eighth grade level because teachers uh, got their hands on these devices and then they had time to learn and and to work together with other teachers to say, hey, look at this, look at what I'm doing. And so we're we're really excited about watching that take flight in all of those grades this year. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun, the professional learning communities where, ki- where teachers are actually working together, talking with their colleagues, talking about what's working, what's not working, how can we do this better. Well, now, I want to say something about professional learning communities too since you brought it up, and that is – when you're cutting funding to the bone, what that forces schools to do is hire as few teachers as they, they possibly can. And when you're operating with a, a, you know, a skeleton crew of teachers, then all of a sudden you don't have the luxury of freeing up time in the day for teachers to work together because you've got to have them teaching every period of the day, and there's no time for collaboration. So a lot of times when we talk about funding, you know, you hear from the side of folks saying my taxes are too high, spend less on schools, and you can spend less on schools if 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 you want to, but there's a cost associated with that, and teachers not being able to collaborate, that's a that's an easy way to save money, but it's going to have negative repercussions on on the student experience and student learning. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. I tell people that all the time when they talk about the the, the money we're spending in education and how do we cut it. Well, you can you can do a lot of things to cut funding. We could just offer the four basic you know, disciplines and not offer anything else. Is that really what you mm-hmm. want your public to be educated on, though? And and then when you talk to them in that way, they said, no, we, we don't. So you know. I honestly had, back during the Alamo letter days, I had a I had a kind of an anti-public schools guy arguing with me, and he argued, this is no joke, that we need to go back to the little house on the prairie days where one teacher teaches a whole bunch of different grades of kids in a room and I'm just thinking, boy, you don't understand education. You don't understand the modern world. And w- the level of, of what we're trying to get kids to understand and be able to do so they can walk out of our school and be valuable members of society, valuable members of, a, of an enterprise. Of you know, Our jobs are more complex than they've ever been. And I just shook my head saying, yeah, what that means is you want low taxes and you don't care what the consequences are. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we can talk all day about – you know the night the night show hosts that go out on the street and ask people who the president is and they can't answer and then they tell how how bad our education system is but you know they they don't realize that we're teaching kids to do jobs that don't even exist right now and so the technology component like you mentioned is so important and the critical thinking and figuring things out we're not just teaching kids to memorize things and go do a factory job anymore it's it's much more about critical thinking and how do you apply what you're learning so uh, you know a lot of great things going on in education today uh, next week we're going to talk about testing and accountability where I'm guessing our discussion is not going to be quite so positive so I want to thank you again for listening I want to thank Dr. Kuhn for being with us and we will see you next time on Largent Unfiltered
If you like our show, I hope you'll subscribe and then share this with your friends and colleagues. You can also check out my website at largentconsulting.org. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Jim Largent and Facebook at Largent Consulting, LLC.